before the people of God to introduce a very good friend of mine, an anointed vessel of God, a wonderful person with a tremendous testimony. The fact that he's standing here today after everything the devil has done to kill him, how he stared death itself in his, in his face multiple times in his life, yet God, the word that God has implanted in this vessel, I believe, is the word for right now. It is a word for this ministry and to those that are hearing uh, today's service. So without further ado, again, it is my honor and privilege to introduce my brother, my friend, my father, none other than Bill Page. Come on, let's receive the man of God. Somebody would say, hey, Bill, what do you do for a living? Matter of fact, why don't you ask me that? I hang out with people, I keep it real with them, and I ask them to keep it real with me. Amen? Amen? Now, how many of you want me to be real today? Raise your hand. Okay, if I'm willing to be real, how many of you are willing to be real? Okay, so here's what the Bible says. It says, know those that labor among you. I like to know who I'm laboring among. And this is how I start all of my talks. So let me see how real you're going to be. Just by the raising of your hands, how many of you have found out life is a lot more difficult than you thought it was going to be? How many of you found out serving Jesus is a lot more difficult than you thought it would be? How many of us find ourselves doing stupid stuff every once in a while? How many of us do stupid stuff we know it's stupid and we do it anyway? Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, what in the ham sandwich is the matter with you? And how many of us have one of these in our lives? Something that we've done, our attitude about it is, oh, my God, I hope nobody ever finds out I did that. How many of us have one of those? Say, neighbor. And I won't be telling you about it either. Okay. So we're going to talk to our, each our neighbors. And you might say, well, Bill, why do you want us to do that? Ephesians 4.25 in one translation says, cease them with lying and tell your neighbor the truth. Because we're not separate units, but intimately united in Christ. I think that's God's way of saying be real with each other. Okay? And then we're going to ra raise our hands and confess some of the sin that's in our lives. <laughs> okay, look at your neighbor and say, neighbor. Oh, don't act like you don't have sin in your life. Okay, so James, James 5.16 says, uh, confess your sins one to another, then pray for each other that you could be healed. Now, John writes, I write these things to you that you don't sin, but if you do, you have an advocate with the Father. But James goes, I know we got some stuff going on, and we'll just confess that and pray about it, and then we'll move on with our own lives. Amen? Amen. And so I want us to have a good time today. Uh, before I share a little bit about myself, how many of you have ever heard a message and you said, oh, so-and-so needed to be here to hear that word? How many people have ever done that? But they weren't there. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor. I wonder who God was talking to. Okay? Because he's not talking to the one that's not there. He's talking to those of us who are there. Okay? And so I want us to have a good time, and I want us to be able to laugh at some things. You know, the Bible says laughter does good like a medicine. There is something medicinal about laughter. You can't laugh and be mad at the same time. Amen? Okay, so let me tell you a couple things I've seen in here already. First of all, I appreciate my, my brother and my sister came up here. You know, somebody said, Bill, you're, you're nothing but a thug preacher because I like hip-hop Christian music. And so I was happy when they came up here and they did their little flow. And then I was going like the birthday song. I was going like, dang, I'm coming back here in October on my birthday just so I can hear that song. So that, that, that's what really touched me. And it's going to get crazier from here on out. I've heard an expression that when Jesus 
wants to do something in your life, he'll take you on a journey. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, put your seatbelt on. Okay, so I'll share a little bit about my own life. Born and raised in New York City, grew up in a very dysfunctional family. Uh, my mom was involved with organized crime. I don't realize it's organized crime until I become a police officer. Many years later, and I begin to investigate organized crime, I look back, I was like, dang, that's what mommy used to do. Okay, I was a victim of child abuse at her hands. I didn't realize it was child abuse, of course, until I began to investigate child abuse. I look back, I was like, dang, that's what mommy used to do. And uh, I saw a girl at a, at a camp, and she had a T-shirt on. It said, save your drama for your mama. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor. Bill's mama was his drama. Okay, and, um, and I grew up in a house, and I see there's some young people here, and I uh, had a cousin. She was very promiscuous. Now, if you have to ask what promiscuous means, you don't need to know, okay? But for those of us who do, okay, so Bill saw some stuff, and then uh, I came home from school. I was 13 years old, and my mom had passed away. And uh, some of her friends were at the house, and I remember taking my dog for a walk, and I remember crying, and I came back home, and another cousin had come home. He sees I've been crying. He's 18 years old. He, he asked me, he said, why are you crying? I, I said, I'm crying because mommy died. And he says, well, so what? She's not your real mother. Your real mother is the girl you think is your cousin. Look at your neighbor say, neighbor. Dang. Okay. So, so, so what do you do with that? What do you do with that at 13 years old when you don't know who Jesus is? And my life spiraled out of control. I uh, went to an all-boys high school, uh, quit school quit school soon as football season ended my senior year, began running the streets, hanging out with a crew that was doing bank robberies and murder. So I joined the military to keep from going to jail. Uh, I thought that was a good option. Say, neighbor, we were in Vietnam at that time. <laughs> okay. Uh, by God's grace, he got me through the military, got married uh, to my first wife uh, in, in the service. She's my first wife because she left me, and she left me for another man. Look at your neighbor. Say, neighbor. And his name is Jesus, and she's with him right now. I know some of y'all saying you need to find a better way of explaining that, but that's, that's what happened. But we had been married for 46 years, but I'll tell you one thing about her. She didn't know how much baggage I was bringing into our marriage. And all of a sudden, that baggage began to manifest itself, and I began to deal with that baggage with drugs and alcohol. And so here I was, a police officer. I was a detective. I was on a SWAT team, strung out on drugs, an alcoholic, very violent. And one day, I got real. December 26, 1980, at 2.45 in the afternoon. I was watching TV, and the man on television asked two questions. He said, hey, are you a sinner? I said, yeah. He said, you know Jesus? I said, no. Say, neighbor. You know you got issues if you get an attitude with the television. <laughs> and uh, so he said, call this 800 number. That 800 number flashed on the screen. I called that number, and the man explained to me the incredible love of Jesus Christ. Didn't tell me anything I hadn't heard before, but that day the light came on. And I prayed with that man. I received Christ in my life. I was completely set free from drugs and alcohol and filled with the joy and peace I'd never had before. Amen. <laughs> my first wife, Claudia, 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 comes home. I meet her at the door. I said, Claudia, this is the new me. Jesus came into my life again today. Rather, I'm born again by the Spirit of God. My name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I'm a new creation in Christ. Because that's all the stuff that man told me on the telephone. Say, neighbor, whatever you do, never say stupid stuff to a black woman. And so when I said that to her, she went just like this. Yeah, right. <laughs> and she thought God would kill me, but rather than killing me, he saved her and saved my father and saved my children and turned our entire household around. And then for the last 39 years, it's been real crazy. But it, I wouldn't be traded in for anything. Amen? Amen? I appreciated our sister who came up here tonight and began to sing that last song that she talked about. You can't do anything without him. I believe John 15 and 5 is probably the most underscored scripture in the Bible. When Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. I think we think we got it. I think we think I, I could do this. How many of you have ever felt you could do this and only to make a mess out of some stuff? As a child of God, the moment that you make up your mind to do something or I make up my mind to do something without Jesus, Jesus just steps back and then he comes back and he goes, How's that working for you? And it really doesn't work if you try to do it without him. So Philippians 4.13 says, but we can do all things through him because he is the one that gives us strength. How many of you ever just wondered sometimes, how, how do I live this life? What am I supposed to do? How many of us really struggle with doing the right thing all the time? Anybody ever feel that way? Okay, I want to share this about Jesus. You know, Jesus did not go about 
not committing sin. Say neighbor. Uh-oh. The Bible says Jesus went about doing good. And because he always did good, he never committed sin. But his attitude wasn't about not committing sin. His attitude was about always doing good. And God calls us to do good. I want to tell you about a young man. His name is uh, Noah Harris. He was a first lieutenant in the 3rd Infantry Division. Uh, he was born in 1981. And on June 12, 2005, he was out on patrol, and he had just come back from a firefight, a shootout. And as he was getting ready to go turn his vehicle in, he heard about some of his friends who were in a shootout in another part of town. And so he made up his mind to go help them. He and all the people in his vehicle were killed that day. Jesus said, greater love has no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. But then he goes on to say, and you are my friends if you do what I command you. And I want us to think about that a little bit. So here, this man, before his friends, went and put himself in harm's way, and he was willing to lay his life down if that's what it took. I was in the military, or I was in the police department. Every single day you go to work, there's a possibility you might not come home. But there wasn't a day that I didn't want to come home. I always wanted to come home. But that just comes with the territory. There came a day that Jesus went to work, and he didn't come home. He didn't come home for three days. And in three days, he came back. And he had laid his life down for you and I. That while we were sinners, the Bible says, the love of God was demonstrated for us that Jesus Christ died for us. So what do we do? What does God want you and I to do? Well, here's one thing we can do. Philippians 2, 5 in one translation says it this way. Let Jesus Christ be your example as to what your attitude should be. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, what be your attitude? How many of us sometimes we don't have the attitude of Christ? Anybody in the house? How many of us have ever had some words come out of our mouth and we wish you could get those bad boys and put them back in there? How many of you ever did something that felt good when you did it, but later on you were sorry you went there? Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, how does this man know so much about you? Because the Bible says the things that we go through, they're common to a man. How many of you have ever felt there's nobody's life as messed up as my life? Anybody ever feel that way? You know why you feel that way? Because we in the church don't know how to be real. We in the church walk around acting like we got it all together. And there was a book written, I'm okay, you're okay. The problem is with that book, I ain't okay and you ain't okay and that's okay. Because Jesus came to deal with people who weren't okay. Amen? I've watched so far, you know, from being the police, I see stuff. I've seen some of y'all not raise your hand one time yet. Out of all the questions I've asked, I've gone like, look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, I wonder what that's all about. <laughs> you know, Peter got it right in the book of Luke when Jesus, you know, one of the things that Jesus is most quoted as saying is, follow me. Come on, follow me. And when Jesus calls us to follow him, he looks over his shoulder. He's expecting you and I to be there. And so uh, Peter goes fishing with him one day, but he gets real. Uh, what I love about Peter, he's always real. Say neighbor, but he ain't always right. But I think his realness is something that really touched Jesus, that he saw in him, here's someone that I can work with. Here's someone that can become pliable and become the person that I want him to be. And that's what God does in our lives. He that has begun a good work in you and I will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And so they go fishing, and Peter gets real. He said, Lord, but we fished all night long, and we didn't catch anything. But nevertheless, because you say, do it, I will do it. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, if Jesus says do it, you need to do it. Okay. Here's what the Bible says. James writes these words. He says, for him that knows, uh, uh, him, for him who knows to do good and doesn't do it, to him or her, it is sin. God goes, you know what's the right thing to do, and when you don't do the right thing or when I don't do the right thing, I like to play the, the movie, the, uh, do the right thing. That's all God is saying to you and I, do the right thing. 
You know, when I read the Bible, it turns into a movie for me. And, and because I have an overactive imagination, because I spend a lot of times with kids, and I see there are kids here, so I have to speak in a way so that the adults and the kids can get it. You know, Jesus said, let the little children come to me and forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of God. So therefore, when Jesus spoke, he was speaking to the adults and he was speaking to the kids. Jesus said, unless you become like a child, you will in no wise enter the kingdom of God. So look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, for this message, you're going to get a chance to be a kid. Okay, so what do you do? What do you do? You know what? You know what? Um, Noah's, uh, when he got killed, and they, they interviewed his parents, he was known for this expression, idwick. That was his favorite expression, idwick. Idwick is I-D-W-I-C. I do what I can. And God calls you and I to do what you can. And to do it with his help and to do it for his glory. I do what I can. He went to help that day. And maybe by going to help, he might have saved some of the lives of his friends. But it cost him his life. But he did what he could. When I was on the police department, one of my closest friends, this guy's name is Brownie. We used to call him Brownie. His name is Sergeant Brown. He would always say, doing the best with what I got. You say, how you doing, man? Doing the best with what I got. All the time. No matter how crazy, how bad things were going, doing the best with what I got. And we live our lives doing the best with who we got. God, in the person of Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit that lives on the inside of us. I, I wonder what it would have been like to hang out with Jesus. And so I'm going to tell a couple of stories here from the Bible. I want us to take a little journey. In the book of Mark, in the second chapter, it says, some days later, he returned to Capernaum. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, neighbor. he's been here before. You know, he had been there before, and he did some incredible things. He cast out some demons, and, and he touched lepers. You know, how many of you ever played the cootie game? Anybody ever here played the cootie game? Yeah. You know, guys never want to raise their, yo, man, I ain't playing no cootie game. Whatever. Okay, so, so the deal is we played the cootie game. Somebody picks their notes. Ooh, you got cooties. And then if they touch you, you get their cooties. When you had leprosy, you had cooties. Cooties on steroids. And Jesus just didn't speak to the cooties. He touched cooties. And he never got cooties. But he healed people who had them. People who were outcasts. People who were unclean. People who, who were shunned by society. People who had to walk around. I'm unclean. Can you imagine if you and I had to walk around confessing all of our sins, the things that dirty us up sometimes? Look at your name and say, neighbor. Oh, I don't want to go there. Okay, so he returned, and the Bible says, and he went into this house. And you know what? Jesus just didn't go to social gathering. He went into the house, and he began to teach the word of God. The Bible never tells us what he talked about that day. That message wasn't for you, and it wasn't uh, for anyone else. It was just for the people in the house. And he goes in the house, and he sits down, and he begins to teach the word of God. And I think about this. Can you imagine that the word was out that Jesus, now Jesus is here, but suppose Jesus was came here physically today. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor. neighbor. Oh, I'd have got here on time for that. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, but he, he's here, and everybody finds out you can't even get near the building. And as you're coming in, you see some people go the opposite direction. They're going through the crowd. You're saying to yourself, but Jesus is over there. Why are they going this way? Because they know someone that needs Jesus. Because they already maybe have a relationship with Jesus. And they go and they find this guy who's paralyzed. I always, when you're paralyzed, I used to give him a name called Sticky. Sticky's paralyzed. He's home. He's, there's nobody cares about Sticky. Sticky's just laying there. His, his big screen television is the ceiling. But Sticky got something going for him. He got some people who care about him. And they show up at the house. And I think Sticky's just laying there. What are you guys doing here? We're taking you to see Jesus. And you know what? There are people who don't think Jesus can make a difference. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, but I know better. Okay. And, and so we're taking you to see Jesus. And maybe he doesn't even want to go. But you know what? When you're paralyzed, there ain't nothing you can do. Maybe one of them just said, man, why don't you just shut up? Okay. Boom. And they pick him up and they take him to where Jesus is. Now, the Bible doesn't say they said that, but it's possible. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor. That's what I would have told them. Okay. So they get to the house and they can't get in the house. But they're thinkers. And the Bible says, he that wins souls is wise. And the Bible also says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men and women liberally. And he doesn't hold back from anyone. 
One of the guys is a thinker, and he looks over, and he looks on the side of the house, and there's a staircase going up on, on the roof. In New York City, we call it the fire escape. Amen? Okay, and so they, they, and they take him up on the roof. And I just think about this. Sticky's like, it's like, no, 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 not the fire escape. Anything but the fire escape. Shut up. Okay, so they get him up on the roof. <laughs> and, but there's no doors. There's no windows. And, th- and they look around. Hmm, okay, I'm that. Come back. There we go. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Okay, so there he is. <laughs> but one guy's a thinker. Can I take this out front? Okay. So one guy's a thinker. Jesus in the house, just like here. The house is filled. People all around the door. Sticky's on the roof. And maybe somebody just goes, I think he's right here. And the Bible says, and they began to break into this man's house. Section 14020 of the penal law of the state of New York says a person is guilty of burglary in the third degree when they knowingly intentionally enter a permit or a dwelling with the intent to commit a crime therein. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor. We got a burglary in progress. And the God of the universe is in on it. So they, they, okay, and all of a sudden pieces of straw and clay fall into the house. The house, and all of a sudden there's a hole in the ceiling. And in the hole, a eye right here. And they open the hole big enough to let Sticky down. How many of us realize there are differences between white people and black people? How many people realize that? Realize that? Okay, so if Sticky's a white kid, he's just going like, oh boy, is this going to be great? Because white people do crazy stuff. I'm just saying. If he's a black kid, Latino kid, yo, I know you tripping for real now. I know you ain't going to put me in that hole. <laughs> Shut up. Okay, and so they put him down in the hole. They lower him down to the feet of Jesus. I don't know if you look at the, uh, say neighbor. No, I don't look at the Bible the way he looks at it. (laughs) Okay. Right at the feet of Jesus. And then something happens. And I want to take you and I want to put you on the roof. How many of you believe Jesus loves the people of your community? How many of you believe Jesus loves people in your family? How many of you believe that he has the ability to change their lives? Okay, so raise your hand if you really, if you really believe that. Keep your hand up in the air. I'm going to take you. You on the roof now. You took Sticky there. There you are. And you, and you know what? Jesus looks up. You know what he sees? He sees four heads like this. And here's what it says. Hands down. And w- here's what it says. And when he saw their faith, when he saw their faith, he looked at Sticky and said, my son, your sin is forgiven. Brings him right into the family of God turns his life completely around. I think about this. But Sticky wouldn't have got to the feet of Jesus if it had not been for you. If you ask those four men the same questions I just asked you, they'd raise their hands too. But they did something. And all of you know people in your school, on your job, in your community, they're dying. They need the Jesus that you know. What does God want you to do? Because of what I know about Bishop and the the teachings here, this building needs to be overflowing with people. You need to be having more than one morning service. But it won't happen until you and I do what we're supposed to do. As I was preparing this, one of the things the Lord laid in my heart, he said, use the pronoun we. Because this ain't to you. This is to us. What does God want us to do? And suppose the word got out, you know, and, and, and the, in the, the news people came and they asked those guys, well, what did you do? What happened? And maybe one of them just said, I did what I could do. What happens at the feet of Jesus isn't your business. Us getting people to the feet of Jesus, that's our business. What Jesus does to those people is not your business. Jesus says you will be a fisher of men. Jesus says you catch them, I'll clean them. We try to clean them. Say, neighbor, don't act like you don't know what that brother's talking about. What do we do? There's another story. 
In the book of Mark, in the 10th chapter, Jesus, the Bible says, takes to the road again. He's always followed by this crowd of people. And so in Mark 10, 18, it says, and he took to the road again. And as he took to the road, a man busts out the crowd. So can you imagine? We're with Jesus. We're following him. We're listening to what he has to say. Faith is coming alive in our lives. We don't even realize it. He's sowing his word in our lives. Something incredible is taking place when the word of God is being sown in your life. You don't know how it happens. You don't know what God is going to do with it. But it's beginning to have fruition. And we've been listening. And all of a sudden, a man jumps out of the crowd. And he drops on his knees in front of Jesus. Immediately, it catches your attention and my attention. And he asks Jesus the most important thing that you could ever ask. Lord, what must I do to have eternal life? Matter of fact, he says, good teacher, good rabbi. What must I do? Jesus says, why do you call me good? Check out what Jesus said. For there is no one that's good except God. Look at your name and say, neighbor. That includes us. Nevertheless, you know the commandments. And then he, he gives them commandments. He says, hey, don't, don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't cheat or don't defraud anyone. Honor your mother and your father. How many of us have broken all of those rules? And maybe somebody here says, well, I know I never murdered anybody, but Jesus says if you ever hated someone in your heart, to God, you are a murderer. How many murders we got in the house? He said, don't commit adultery. And maybe none of us have actually gotten into the act, but the desire was there. Say, neighbor. neighbor. Oh, I hope he don't ask us to raise our hands now. <laughs> Say, neighbor. neighbor. He won't be speaking next week. Ain't no sense in looking religious. People going through stuff today. Look at your name and say, neighbor. How he know? Because it takes one to know one. How many of us have ever stolen stuff? How many of us don't like our stuff getting stolen? How many of us have ever lied? How many of us don't like being lied to or lied on? What's wrong with God's rules? He says, don't ever cheat. How many of you have ever cheated at something? How many of us don't like being cheated? How many of you cheat playing cards? Okay, if you cheat, if you, oh, they put you on blast. I'm just saying, okay. The back of your head got bullet holes in it. Okay, so, how many of us have ever cheated playing solitaire? Say, neighbor, pretty bad when you cheat yourself. Then he said, honor your mother and your father. How many of us have ever disrespect? Don't parents, don't be looking at your kids. Okay, how many of us have ever disrespected our parents? Wow. And then Jesus says, honor your mother and your father that it would be well with you and your days would be extended upon the earth. But he also gives parents a responsibility as well. Do not provoke your children to wrath, lest they become discouraged. Wow. And if we're being real, we've all raised our hands. And if this young man was seated here, seated here, he didn't raise his hand one time. My, my current wife, her name is Pamela. One of the things she says to me, she said, why is it necessary for you to confront everything? Because if I see stuff, I'm stepping to it. So I've been watching you raise your hand. I watch you raise your hand. I watch you all raise your hand. I, okay. And most of you all raised your hand, but he didn't raise his hand one time. How come you ain't raised your hand? Check out the answer he gave Jesus. Lord, I've kept all of those rules since I was a little boy. And the Bible, Jesus who knew all men, looked at him, and the Bible said, and he loved him. Another translation says his heart warmed towards him. Okay. But you lack one thing. Go. Sell everything you have. Give the money to the poor. Pick up your cross, come on, follow me, and you'll have riches in heaven. And that that Bible, the Bible says that he turned and walked away, sorrowful, as he said, because he was very wealthy. Wow. He walked away. The opportunity for eternal life. That doesn't mean he didn't come back at another time, but as far as this story is concerned, he turned. And you know what Jesus didn't do? Jesus didn't say, wait, 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 wait. You're not like them. You're not like Bill. You can get in. No. He allowed him to walk away. 
Maybe the news caught up with him. So what happened today? Well, he told me to sell everything I had and give the money to the poor and pick up our cross, come on and follow him, and I would have riches in heaven. Well, what did you do? I did what I wanted to do, and I walked away. It's a problem in the church today. We're doing what we want to do. We're not being obedient. He was disobedient that day. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. And so therefore, if obedience is a fruit of loving Christ, what is disobedience? What's going on when we grieve the Holy Spirit? What's going on when God says, don't go there, and we go there? When God says, don't say anything else. You know, there have been times in my first marriage with Claudia where we argued a lot because of the brokenness in my life mainly. But as a Christian, as a man of God, there was never an argument that she and I had that I did not hear the voice of the Lord say, shut up. Amen. But my attitude is, why I got to shut up? Why I got to shut up when I'm right? Why I got to shut up when I got a Bible verse to back up what I'm saying? Say, neighbor, if you're ever in an argument, the last thing that person needs is a scripture shower. You shut up because God said shut up. In obedience. And I love this expression. It is better to be Christ-like than to be right. Because in being Christ-like, you can never be wrong. Amen. I won't ask you. How many married people we got in the house? How many of y'all can relate to what I just said? Okay, I won't even go down that road. I, I just think about Jesus. What does he want us to do? You know, in the book of John, I love this verse. In the King James Version, it says it this way. John 4, he says, he must needs, I don't understand it, but he must needs be go through Samaria. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor. Jesus wants to go to Samaria of your heart. Some area of your heart. Say neighbor. There was something about the Samaritans. Samaritans were people who came out of a blended family. They were Jews and Syrians that had intermarried. Very much like our interracial marriages today. And there was a lot of hating going on. And then there was a lot of response to the hating that was going on. And so those that were hated became haters. A hated hater and a hater, there's no difference. How many of you have been mad at somebody? Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll leave that alone. Well, in the, in the book of... In the book of Luke, in the ninth chapter, in the 51st verse, it says, and when it came time for Jesus to go back to Jerusalem, or to go to Jerusalem, he set his face like a flint. In other words, he would let nothing stop him. And what was waiting for him in Jerusalem? A cross. A place of death. A place of death for you and I. And he sent his boys out into the Samaritan village to get a place to stay. And the Samaritans then received them because Jesus was going back to Jerusalem. And they came back with an attitude. You want us to rain fire down on them and kill all of them? One book says, like Elijah did. They're not learning much from the Prince of Peace. King James Version says, and he rebuked them. And he said, you don't know what spirit you're of, for the Son of Man did not come to take men's lives, but he came to give life. And they just went to another village. And so... And now, so they have some prejudice. And sometimes in our churches, we have prejudice. A lot of times when you talk about prejudice, it's always black and white. But there's more prejudice than just black and white prejudice. There's black on black prejudice and black on brown and brown on on yellow and yellow on white or, or whatever the case might be. Prejudice is wrong. It is not of the spirit of God. And so it's amazing that this happens in Luke 9, and then we get to Luke 10. And Jesus is out, and he gets confronted by a lawyer. 
these men who studied the law of God. Tradition says they had the first five books of the Bible memorized. Say neighbor. If you memorize Deuteronomy, you got way too much time on your hands. But these men poured themselves into the scriptures. And so he comes to Jesus. And what I love about Jesus, you can't put him in a box. Very rarely does he do the same thing twice, or at least do it in the same way. Teacher, what can I do to have eternal life? Jesus says, well, what has your studying taught you? In one translation, what have you learned? He said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, quite right. Do this, and you will live. And willing to justify himself, the Bible says, who's my neighbor? Hmm. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor. neighbor. Loving me is not, not optional. Why don't you think about that? How many of you have been tempted to do something wrong? How many of you could feel the Holy Spirit saying, don't go there? And I want you to think within yourself, if you chose not to go there for that particular time, that was good, but why didn't you go there? I want you to think about it just within yourself. Why didn't you go there? Sister Mary and, and my wife were the best of friends. And we were all in the same church in the Bronx, and I got under the tutelage of someone who meant well, but they were pretty much legalistic. Now, just imagine, I'm a police officer. I'm acquainted with the law. But it's really grace. But I was acquainted with the law. Even when I was in the military police, I had a sign on my sign saying, obedience to the law is freedom. And so one of those days where Claudia and I, you know, the enemy was trying to get a hold of me, and I was driving on this, this road called the Garden State Parkway, a place by Paramus Mall. As I was going by Paramus Mall, I heard a voice in my head that there are not human words that can describe the silkiness and the slickness of this voice. And that voice simply said, he forgave David. And for the first time, I was being tempted to commit adultery. <laughs> Praise the Lord. You all look so saintly <laughs> now. Because <laughs> you don't know what to do with realness. And we don't know how to share realness. Right. And therefore, people who are stuck stay stuck That's because right. they think they're the only ones. Yeah. So I heard this voice, and it was so smooth. Early in my Christian walk, maybe 1981. And then I heard another voice. And the second voice sounded kind of gruff and gravelly. I can't, that's the only way I can explain it. The second voice said there must be a better reason not to commit adultery than because the Bible says don't commit adultery. That was strange to me, just like it is to some of you. But I knew, I felt very strongly that that second voice was God's voice. Well, how do you find out? Jeremiah 33 and 3 says, call upon the Lord. He'll show you great and mighty things you did not know. Say, neighbor. You don't know everything. So I just simply said to the Lord. I simply said to the Lord, Lord, what does that mean? And here's what I feel God said. The reason you don't commit adultery is because you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you love your neighbor and the person of your wife as yourself. So it's not about rules. It's about a principle, the principle of love, and God is love. But if you don't love any of those three the right way, that whole equation gets messed up. If you don't love God the way that God needs to be loved, if you don't love your neighbor the way your neighbor needs to be loved, even if you don't even love yourself the way you should love yourself, not in a narcissistic way, things become topsy-turvy. So, who's my neighbor? What I love about Jesus, he doesn't allow himself to get hooked. You know, and so he tells a story. And so because when I read the Bible, I realize the story is a parable. This parable is a natural story with a spiritual meaning behind it. But I, I just see it as both. And he tells about a young man who left Jerusalem to go to Jericho. It's about 19 miles. Back in the day, they had a road that connected those two cities. Okay? And Jerusalem is at 2,600 feet above sea level. 
Jericho is 1,900 feet below sea level. I, I was there at both cities uh, back in May, and uh, the road was very windy, and they called it the way of blood because bandits used to hang out on this road. And so this young man, maybe he wasn't thinking, maybe he'd forgotten how dangerous it was. Maybe he had an appointment that he couldn't break. I got to go. And he goes. And the Bible lets us know, Jesus giving the story, that he bandits come upon him and they beat him and, and they strip him of his clothing and they steal his money and they leave him on the roadside half dead. And then a priest comes along. And I want to take you and put you out in the bushes on the road. And there's that young man, a bloody mess, and Bill comes along. You see me, but I don't see you. And then you see me get to that man. Now you know that I was in the military. You know that I was a police officer. You know that I'm a minister of the gospel. How many of you would expect me to do something? But you see this. I ain't talking to you. And I go on by. I would think probably one or two of you at least would go like, hmm. Thank you. Exact. Say it one more time. Okay. No, you said it with more force the first time, though. You said you didn't say who? Oh, okay. Oh, thank you. Okay. We won't go there, though. Okay. So the deal is this. But why? Why would I leave him there? Because I'm coming here to speak. And if I touch him, who's bleeding? He's unclean. If I touch him, I become ceremonially unclean according to the law. For six days, I can't give a message. I got a word for y'all. And I leave him laying there. And we get more. I wonder what the man thinks when he looks up and he sees help available to him. God help no less. Only to see that help walk away. People in your community, in your families, they know you're the God people. They watch you. They listen to you. They point out all your faults. Amen? How many of you have ever said something around them you shouldn't have said, and they're quick with the finger? Oh, you're a child of God. You ain't supposed to talk like that. Anybody in the house? Just three of us? Praise the Lord. So, he walks on by. And then a Levite comes. Maybe it's monkey see, monkey do. The Levites are the guys who assisted the priests in the temple. Maybe he's close enough to see the priest walk by, and the Bible says, and he crossed over on the other side. Mm-hmm. And he keeps on going. Jesus is telling the story. And then he says a Samaritan came along. And I'm thinking this Jewish man, steeped in his own prejudice, must have been going like, I know you tripping for real now. Samaritan, why you got to bring them into the conversation? Now, he didn't say that, but he could have been thinking that. Say neighbor. neighbor. That's what Bill would have thought. He comes along on his donkey. And the Bible says, and he looked at him, and he had compassion on him. His heart went out to him. You know, Jesus says, the Bible says, the harvest is ripe, the labors are few. Pray the Lord of the harvest and send labors into the vineyard. Most people don't know the verse just in front of that. Jesus, seeing the multitude, had compassion on them. For he saw them as sheep without a shepherd and scattered. His heart went out to them. He went out to the disenfranchised. He went out to the unfortunate. He went out to the broken. He cared. The Samaritan cares. The Samaritan knows that he can't leave him here. So the Samaritan gets off of his donkey and he, he begins to apply wine and oil to his wounds. Things that are symbolic in you and I. The Holy Spirit and the anointing of God on the inside of us. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, you have who it takes. And so he ministers to this man. But that's not good enough. He just can't leave him here. He lifts him from the ground and lifts him up on his donkey. And this is my own imagination, especially if we put him in the fireman's carry and lifted him over and he looks at his own clothes. And on his clothes, there's blood. On his clothes, there's dirt. But also on his clothes, there's wine. In oil, what he's given out comes back to him. Sometimes things don't come back to us because we don't give things out. God wants to do things. God wants to do things through your lives. And he takes them to town.
and he finds a hotel, maybe Motel 6. Say, neighbor. How he know? Because they left the light on for him. So, takes him in, and he stays with him. Saints of God, I'm telling you right now, God wants to do something in you all. In us all, really. He stays with them all night long. What does the man feel? What does the man feel? You know, the last hands that touched this man hurt this man. Wounded this man. Beat this man. Left this man. And now you show up. And you stay there with him or her for the sake of the story. And you apply cool rag. You wipe down sores that'll be done to ooze pus. You sit there all night long and you pray for this man. The man goes in and out of consciousness and there you are. And he hears your prayers. He sees you talking to someone who's not in the room and whoever you're talking to, you're talking to him about him. Wow. And then in the morning, he goes down to the innkeeper and gives him a couple of silver coins. <coughs> and he says to him, if that's not enough, I'll pay the rest when I come back. This man is just simply doing the best that he could. And God didn't want any more out of him than to do the best that he could. And God is calling you and I to do the best that we can all the time. To love all the time, to care for people all the time, to give a word of encouragement all the time, the opportunity to lay hands on somebody because the spirit of God that lives inside of you in the word of God that says you will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. I can look at some of you and tell you all have been through some stuff. Some of you have been through hell. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor. neighbor. However, However, better to go through hell than go to hell. I want us to think about that. You know what it's like to be kicked to the curb. You know what it's like to be abandoned. Maybe some of us here know what it's like to be rejected. Some of us know what it's like to be violated. And now you've allowed God to come and to touch you, to heal you, to make you whole, to enable you to forgive those who had despitefully used you. And now you have a heart of compassion. You just can't walk by people and see them hurting. The guy begging on the corner. So what? Well, if I give him money, he's going to use it for drugs. So what? But he'll never be able to tell God that nobody ever came and extended a helping hand to me. God wants to do things. He wants to do things here. He wants to do things in you, and he wants to do things through you. And all it takes is for you to open yourselves up and allow God to have his way. How many of you have ever said, I love you to somebody? Raise your hands. Answer me out loud. What is the only thing you wanted that person to say back to you? I love you. I love you or I love you too. Do you think God is any different? Do you think God, when he extended, when he demonstrated, he doesn't just say he loves us. He demonstrates his love for us. The Bible says, but the love of God was demonstrated for you and I, that while we were sinners, while we were all jacked up, Jesus Christ died for us. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, the love of the love of God constraineth us. I love this. I love this translation better. The spring of our action is the love of God. Not about how much I love God, but living my life in response to how much God loves me. There have been times that I've asked God, Lord, I don't understand your love. And I'm telling you as clearly as you can hear me, he says, I know, and you never will. Stop trying to figure it out. There are times that I've said this to God. Lord, how could I have done some of the things that I've done since I've given my life to you? And the Lord has said, what difference does it make? You did it. Don't do it anymore. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor. neighbor. Don't, do that anymore. Don't do that anymore. And we all got a that in our lives. We all got something that God is trying to get us away from so that his light and love and life can shine forth in this world through us. You know what we find out? I don't know, maybe you, maybe, maybe you have a super relationship with the Lord. You know what I have found out numerous times? I found out I don't love God sometimes as much as I think I do. 
I think back to my first marriage before we got saved. I think of times that I could say to Claudia, I love you. And if you followed me around, participate in behavior that didn't look like I loved her. Say, neighbor. Don't act like you don't know what he's talking about. When you've been through some stuff, God will help you help some other people. Second Corinthians 1 and 1 translation says it this way. That God is a God of all comfort and mercy. and He gives us comfort in our trials. Why? So that we in turn can give comfort to others and theirs. And the more that we share Christ's sufferings, the more we are able to give of his encouragement. This means that if we have to experience trouble, we can pass on to you the same sort of spiritual help that we ourselves have received. God leaves no stone unturned. We go through stuff and then God, trust me on this, if you really love God and you want to be used by God, he will begin to body bomb you with people who are just like you. People who've been through what you've been through. People who you can speak into their lives with authority and they'll say to you, you don't know. And you'll say, yes, I do. But let me tell you what God did for me. And you'll comfort them and speak truth into their lives. Life is crazy. Life is difficult sometimes, but God is in this thing, and we can do it with the help of God. I want us to think about that. I want you to think about your relationship here in this church. What is God calling you to do in this church? What is his mandate to you? And probably to all of us, it's a little different. But get your marching orders from God. The Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus at the time, has an encounter with Jesus. We're there. Saul, breathing out threats against the saints, warrants of arrest in his hand. Saul that would send them to their death. Saul who would torture them and make them blaspheme the name of God. And we're there. And we're watching. And this light shines down from heaven, brighter than the noonday sun, the Bible says. And Paul falls off his high horse. I guarantee you, if I'm there, oh, yeah, yeah, boy, you're going to get yours now. Okay, and I would want him to get his. Not like you, because you would just pray for him, wouldn't you? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you persecute. And it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. And then he asks God the most important question you could ever ask God. Lord, what do you want me to do? And God made him a champion of the faith. God made this murderer and blasphemer, the writer of 13 books in the Bible, turned his life around. You never know who's living in your community. Another Paul, another Mary. And by you loving them and caring for them, bringing them to the house of God where they can be entreated with the love of God from the saints of God. As they come into the house of God and they feel the love of God flowing from breast to breast and faith to faith. That when they leave here, maybe they just come one time. You got to be here one time. And they leave here scratching their head. There's something different about that place. There's something different about those people. They see a smile on your face. They don't sit you, see you sitting there like I'm looking at right now, all tooted up. <laughs> Say, neighbor, the face you're making right now ain't going to stop him from giving this word. Just a thought. Okay, but I will stop. But I want to read something to you. You know, one of the things I used to always want was a report card from God. How am I doing, Lord? And then there were times I didn't want a report card from God because I knew how I was doing. But one of my report cards, or many of my report cards, because I wasn't a dumb kid, I just had all kinds of stuff going on where I couldn't stay focused in. But almost all of my report cards would say this. Bill is such a good kid. Bill is such a smart kid. But then there'd be that word. What would be the word? But. but. Look at your neighbor say, neighbor. neighbor. Nothing, new under the sun. Nothing new under the sun. Here's what God's word says in the book of Revelation. God has given his church a report card. Write this to the church in Ephesus. 
These are the words spoken by the one who holds the seven stars safe in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. How about this? And he says this to all the churches. I know what you've done. I've been watching you. Look at your neighbor, say neighbor. God's been watching you. And you know, probably for some of us in here, that scares us. We, we worry about the fact that God was watching us. I know what you've done. And then he says this. And how hard you've worked. And what you've endured. I know what you've been through. I've seen your labor. I know that you would not tolerate wicked men. And that you would put to test self-styled apostles who are nothing of the sort. And you found them to be liars. I know your powers of endurance and how you have suffered for the sake of my name and you have not grown weary. But I hold this one thing against you. And when I got saved, I was only allowed to read the King James Version and I didn't know anything about Greek or any of that. It says, you've left your first love. And so at face value, I thought that that meant these were people who just completely turned their back and walked away from God. And that's not what the verse means. And I love the way it's written here. You don't love me like you used to. Take a look, he says. See how far you've fallen. Repent. Go back and do your first works over. Here is Jesus, to a certain degree, being kicked to the curb by his lover in pursuit of his lover. I understand what you've been through. I know what you're going through. I know why you are the way you are. I remember the zeal. I remember the fervor. You don't love me like that anymore. But take a look. Fall in love with me again. Know the saints of God. Jesus will never fall in love with you again he will never fall out of love with you in the first place. And that's what makes him God. Only God can do that. So he says, fall in love with me again. Let's start again. Go back. Think of the day that you gave your life to the Lord. Think of the grace, the mercy. Think of the times that he's forgiven you. Think of the times that you've said and I've said, Lord, I know I told you I wouldn't do that again, but I just did that again. Please forgive me again. And he forgave you again. He also says, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. He doesn't knock with his hand. He knocks with his mouth. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in. I'll come in and I will sup with them. I like to look at it a different way. I'll come in and rearrange the furniture. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, we need some furniture rearrangement. And the great thing about that is that Jesus is more than happy to do that for you and I. He loves us. He gives us chance after chance. He's a healer. He's a redeemer. He's a lover. He's a forgiver. And he's a user. And he wants to use you for his glory. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor. Just do it. Let's pray. Father God, today in the name of Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for those here in the sanctuary. We thank you for those on the airways. You love us in ways that we cannot even begin to imagine. You've demonstrated that love for us, that while we were sinners, you died for us. Father, we thank you, and we need you. We are learning the hard way that we cannot do this without you. And so, Lord, give us a mindset. Your word says you would keep us in perfect peace if we put our mind on you and trust you. Help us to trust you. Enable us to follow you. Enable us to do what you want us to do. Allow us to do whatever we can for your honor and your glory. Bless these, your children. Fill this place to overflowing as they go out to do what you've called them to do. In Jesus' name, amen.